Welcome to Farming the Depths of Eternal, a constructed podcast all about brewing. Each episode, we do a deep dive on a card and brew some decks around it and see how far we can take it. I'm Patrick of Pottermore Online, and this week we have a returning guest. I kind of looked back at uh, our episode records, and it seems like you've been on quite a few times, so hopefully people aren't getting bored. Uh, It's I'm Straight. Uh, So welcome back. Hello. It's it's good to be here. Uh, are you sure that I've been here before? I might, I know I've. You know, I thought I thought you were a first timer, but then I did. I looked back. You know, I was reviewing what episode number we were on and stuff, and I I felt like I saw your name pop up a couple times. I was kind of surprised. Interesting. Well, yeah. I guess we'll, we'll we'll have to trust your research here, um, because we certainly are a research first. Um, kind of podcast exactly exactly yeah and uh for, like, for this episode we did a lot more researching than we did brewing so uh, uh yes so uh that is a little bit true but i think it'll be good because uh we got some exciting things to talk about uh first both of us uh to be honest we'll start with that have been on a bit of a break hiatus haven't gotten a lot of chances to play so we're we're coming back to this game a bit with fresh eyes but we wanted to record a podcast get this out here start talking about the game again um and i think with uh, the fact that the news there's been uh we got news of a a new mini set coming out uh soon called the devouring and then today Today, day of recording, there was a balance patch. Yeah, some uh, some unexpected news with a new set. <clears throat> Definitely very welcome to see. Um, a balance patch, also kind of welcome to see. It's always nice to see that they're still, you know, uh, looking at things, making adjustments. We haven't quite gotten any... Um, any news about organized play one way or another. Uh, so definitely looking forward to hearing more about that, hopefully sooner than later. Um, whatever, you know, whatever the news is, I would I personally, I would love to know. I'm sure that a lot of the players out there also want to know as well. Um, but yeah, um, some really great, great news to get us started. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, game's not dead, so that's exciting. Yes. All right. So you got humorous. Yeah. (laughs) So should we talk about these new cards in this uh, new mini set? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So uh, yeah, first card up. There's a new big giant primal legendary called the Lord of the Wilds, and it is a nine cost primal 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 ten ten Aegis Killer. When the Lord of the Wilds hits the enemy player, discard your hand and draw cards equal to the damage dealt. Yeah, it's a pretty giant unit. Um, I would imagine that we're not going to be casting this very often. It's more of a cheated into play unit. Um, it's kind of interesting. It has a really strong ability. Uh but at the same time, it doesn't have a way, it doesn't have evasion or anything like that. So dealing damage um, to the enemy player won't kind of come easy unless you have um, something like a mask 
in play, which gives all your units overwhelm. Right. And um, then and then if you have mask, you're now kind of branching into a third color probably if you're trying to do some recursion. Um Yeah, you're mentioning that because of shadow to to kind of bring it kind of try to cheat the Lord of the Wilds into play from your from your void or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's interesting because I think, you know, when you think of off shadow color recursion targets, you kind of, I feel like you have to put them up against Scourge of the Frost Tome, right? Right. And so then it's like, what would you rather um, bring back, that or this? That's a good point. Uh, Scourge is definitely a superior card against like the very heavy, um, very heavy spell decks. Uh, the interesting part about this, I suppose, is that it does have Aegis as well, and it has Killer, which means that you, at a very minimum, could um, call it a removal spell if you were to um, to just get the Killer effect out, and still they had a way of of removing it. Sometimes Scourge has it's it's kind of um, it's more binary. It's either like the best possible thing or it could be seen as like not that great. Also, um, one interesting thing though about primals that there is one primal reanimation spell, um, sort of reanimation spell. The the five costs two primal and then you transform a unit in in play into a unit that's in your void. So yeah, and then you do of, something, and then something happens. It is the most complicated card in the world, but <laughs> it goes you uh, you put it in your market. The copy that's in the void gets put in your market um, after it's done transforming. I can, I can find the card. Yeah, yeah, because there is that. Because I remember these kind of like film discard reanimate uh, decks got were kind of popular for a little while just because primal has so many ways to put cards into your void and then um you know again you're mostly trying to hit vara back then but you could have like a, right. a scourge of the frost home in your deck so I, I i do wonder if there's maybe something with that it is yeah so i don't know how good those decks are <laughs> in 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 the current environment, but yeah, likely not great. Um, yeah. Near perfect imitation is the, is the card I was thinking about. Um, but the, I do have but, a soft spot because like the, that brief period of time where people playing scourge of the frost home and clutch keeper in a reanimation deck was kind of a, I love that deck. If, if clear the way still made nine cost, nine cost uh, units, then mm -hmm. we'd probably we'd probably be talking here um but as it stands i don't i don't think this is realistically anything um too competitive it's it's kind of interesting because it's a it's a really big unit i'm sure there's going to be folks that will really enjoy playing with it if it's kind of their their style of, of card but from a competitive perspective for whatever that's worth um <laughs> i don't think i don't think this one is going to be a standout card yeah. All right. So then the next card, uh, it's uh, five Shadow Shadow. 
um, called the Devouring. It says kill each unit that has six or less total attack slash health and has Nightfall. So uh, yeah, so this kills your own Zayat, uh, which is pretty interesting. It now does, yes, which I guess is is going to be, maybe we should have left this card for the third one because it would have been a great uh, transition into the balance patch. Um, but yeah, this, this also does not stand out to me as particularly strong at four, at five power even. Um, it's like, it'll be a sweeper, but it's not like a full sweeper. I feel like this, this card should cost, um, this card should cost uh, four. I don't think it's, I don't think it should cost five. So this is not a, exactly equivalent to the, there's one shadow card that costs four double shadow and it gives minus three, minus three to units. Um, this is kind of how I'm evaluating it personally. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so. do, you, do you think there's a possibility for like a crack the earth market or something like that where you just want, I mean, I guess in that case, you'd still always just play, uh, that spell that gives um that gives Minus you a, that no that gives you a Dizo's office. Oh yes. I mean if you're playing crack and you're playing shadow and you need that effect, yes, you would probably be looking at um what's it called? End of an era. End of an era, yep. How could we forget that? Um yeah, so if you're if you're playing if you're playing those two colors, if you're playing time and you're playing shadow and you're looking for something to hit with your crack the earth market spell, then yeah, end of an era definitely stands out. If you specifically want to get the most uh, effect for your sweeper, then there's also a card called Strain to Shadow, which just says each unit gets minus four health, which I I think if you compare the two, strain to shadow is a more reliable uh, sweeper effect. So, right. Not... But like with this, you're the the aim is to make this like a plague wind, so it's a one sided sweeper, right? I suppose. I think you could do that with any of the any of the sweepers that have some kind of clause. So, oh. in the case where you're doing minus three, minus three to units, or minus four to units, then you could have units that are bigger than that to try to make it a one-sided thing because mm-hmm. at this point six total means that you know it's a it's a anything above a three three would would stay alive so three four would stay alive a four three would stay alive yeah yeah i, I think similar so so well i think we're thinking a lot about it in thrones so like in the context of expedition like do you do you feel like this will have a lot of targets in expedition? I mean, there might be some more targets, but there's already again an expedition. I think we have a whole bunch of um, whole bunch of sweepers. Yeah, albeit not in shadow. Right. Um, well, I guess I was just thinking there are you know because in this latest set there is that seven you know this theme of having seven plus uh attack and, you're saying, and yeah so you're saying just play a bunch of like seven 
stated units and then play this alongside so that it's a one-sided ref. It's yeah. kind of interesting, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I, you know, I, I, this is coming up in my head because, I mean, like, if there's a lot of, of sort of aggro in Expedition, then, like, this could possibly be a one-sided sweeper where you're killing all your opponent's aggro decks. And I, in our research for our card of the week, um, I did see this deck that was trying to... Um, use and abuse um the card from last format the five cost uh four four that gives uh a card echo if it has more than uh four attack and you know and so i with that card in mind i was like <laughs> this deck had a lot of these seven seven uh plus uh units in it you know even starting with like obstinate rat uh draft all-star yeah. at two so you, like even you can even play like some early drops um that won't get swept up later if you then play the devouring yeah so curving into wrath but in a in a slightly better way yeah i see, I see what you're getting at yeah uh it definitely could be interesting yeah yeah so that's that's an idea um, I have not played enough Expedition in the last month to really know <laughs> at all what it looks like, but uh, I could imagine. <laughs> and apologies to the listeners because uh, we'll we'll do a better job, but at actually getting more uh, more playing done so that we can be more um, accurate with some of our assessments of uh, more closed formats like uh, like Expedition. Yes, where we we don't have the the sort of, yeah, just uh, more of our knowledge will stay relevant for Throne than Expedition. Right. Um, yeah, this third card, though, is pretty uh, interesting and seems to slot immediately into a deck, and that is a Deep Trail Vanguard, which is a four-cost uh, single-fire, single-time. Uh, Two-five says when Deep Trail Vanguard attacks alone, she gets plus three and overwhelm this turn, and then summon... Draw a spell from your void, discard it at the end of your next turn. Yeah, I mean, of the three cards, this is certainly the standout card. I think this is very, very good. Um, I think it's going to be good in both formats. And the the deck that you are mentioning that it slots right into um, is Rebuild. Yes. Combo. Um, but that effect is just inherently very powerful, and the fact that you get to you get to keep that spell in your hand and be able to play it the next turn was also really relevant because yeah, yeah and I don't want to blow your mind right now, but it has a total of seven attack and health, so you could get back the devouring sweep and, <laughs> and then attack alone with this next turn as a five yeah. five. Amongst many other reasons why it is a really great card, for sure. Just, you know, this... Yeah. Um, I think think the Vanguard is going to... I think the Vanguard is going to be kind of a a pretty big force. I'm guessing that the fact that it does not give Voidbound to the spell might be something that gets adjusted later. That would be a hunch. Um... 
I think it's uh, an incredibly good card to give killer to and then like copy it over and over again. It's um and then it just keeps returning the copy effect. So I th I think that there's going to be like many many different ways of um taking full advantage of this card. I then I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be yeah, really good. Yeah, this is definitely a candidate for uh, a card to talk about um, and brew around later on because there's just like a lot of interesting. It's doing so many things that there's just a lot of different shells it can go into. Oh, agreed. Um... All right, so you ready to talk about this balance patch? Let's do it. All right, so three cards got changed in this sort of mini patch here. And uh, number one, a card that we've uh, talked about and debated a little bit, and that is Zayat Steelworn Reaver. And uh, yeah. a Reeve. Steelworn Reeve? Reeve. Okay. okay. Zayat Steelworn Reeve, uh, which used to be a 4-4 uh, deadly and is now a 4-2. So... It, uh, she keeps her her text of discarding a card, and then when she dies, the opponent draws a justice sigil, but she's now just much easier to kill and block and attack into. Yeah. Um, comments being that it was just too good at kind of gucking up the board in addition to the other, the other effects that it had. Um, I think my opinion on the change is probably quite different from a lot of other opinions that I've heard. And I'm, I'm certainly allowing for me, me to be wrong as opposed to everybody else to be wrong. I don't think this is a very impactful change. I think the deadly change could have been more impactful. Um, but that's kind of, this is the way they chose to go about it. Um, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of folks are saying that, that the Zayat change makes it substantially weaker in Throne because it puts it within range of one cost removal spells um i think that realistically probably won't make a very big difference on how much it's played uh albeit it, it is worse than it was before but um so yeah. you think it's still an auto include in most shadow decks i, I mean i would think so yeah yeah personally yeah it's interesting i mean a 4-2 is just a lot weaker. And it, it's interesting because, like, one of the things they mentioned is that um, one of the play patterns with uh, Zayat was, and this is a direct quote, uh, rather than picking apart the enemy game plan, she's often able to steal their only answer to a 4-4 deadly attacker. Uh, and I do think making her a 4-2 opens up the amount of removal that can possibly kill her. Um, I guess this is mostly against fire decks that have this damage based removal um, and maybe a little bit of primal, but you know, so now there could, it's more likely, I guess, in theory that there are like two cards in your hand that can deal with her and therefore, yeah. uh, you know, as compared to before where the, the removal that dealt with her was so, so narrow or so few that, the enemy could just take that single piece. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this how this affects her. Um, this definitely this change really 
killed the deck that I've been playing, which has just been like a Stonescar midrange deck that had a Zayat and Feed the Hecaton um, in it. So uh, I might the, have to, yeah. <laughs> might the have, next card might have to figure out a new deck to be uh, playing in my reintroduction to ladder. Um, so quickly before we move to the next one, you made really good points um, that it is easier to kill. Um, I don't, I don't, the reason why I'm thinking that it doesn't make that big a difference is, uh, that I, I don't, if there was a more relevant thing that happened when the Zayat died, then it, the Zayat being easier to kill becomes more relevant. Um, the fact that it's just a sigil that is not even most of the time the, the, the other decks uh, uh, colors or influences it just it doesn't make it doesn't make it that that big of an impact so it's like if they're using a removal spell to kill the, your unit okay it's not that big a deal uh, albeit the merchants being available or you get that extra card to go to market maybe a little bit more relevant in throne than you know expedition but still it just that's my only, not gripe, but realistically, I don't think that just because it's a little bit, it is a lot easier to kill, that it will make a meaningful difference in the decks I want to play. But, but that was a good, um, your Stone Scar uh, point was a good, uh, good segue to the next card. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to also say, like, um, yeah, I, I think it kind of depends a little bit on where you thought her power lay. It's kind of like what they were, what they they said again in the in the sentence I quoted. It's like whether her power was in the picking apart the enemy game, picking apart the enemy hand, or in the closing out the game as a four four deadly blocker you know, or attacker slash blocker. And then it's right. like, this makes her less likely to be able to close out a game on her own while right. still disrupting the opponent's game plan. And so it's like, or is the, you know, it's, so it's like, is the exploit part of her better or is the fact that she's a hard to kill for four deadly attacker the, the was that right. the better part of her? So it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Oh, that's very fair. All right. Yeah. So the next card was Speed the Hecaton. Um, this is a, a two cost spell that says the enemy player sacrifices a unit of their choice. And then you may exhaust a unit with seven or more total attack of health to make them sacrifice an additional unit. Yeah, I haven't. Haven't actually played because I haven't played an, an expedition for a little bit. I haven't played against the card very much, but when it came out, it was evident, pretty evident that it's, it was a really strong card. Um, you said you've been playing it in the uh, in your Stone Scar deck. How how has it felt as as a card? How I mean, do you it's, feel like it's, this change is going to impact it. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to affect it. I feel like it's still a totally playable card and probably more reasonable. I mean, at two, it was just so nice because 
you could often double spell with it. So then it almost lose, you know, it sort of negates the downside of it, of exhausting one of your own units, because you could like, you know, play a, at, at, at six, you know, you could play a Vara and then play this on the Vara or, or whatever, or a Zayat, you know, playing a Zayat and then playing this for two cost at six was just like an incredibly powerful play. Um, yeah, that's three cards that you're getting rid of, one in one in their hand and two in play. Yeah, that seems very very strong. So, so it, it, I like again. I don't have a sense of how strong it's going to be, but it's it feels like spending three to kill two is still a fine rate. Yeah, yeah. I'd be curious to see what. Uh... How it progresses, I'm guessing it's probably not going to be um, in throne as as played. Um, yeah. Just the nature of increasing the cost of a card by fifty percent is is probably a difficult thing for for throne, but but definitely still going to be important. I'm guessing an expedition. Yes. Yeah. No. I I definitely agree with that. All right, and then the final card, they said this is primarily primarily a draft change. And that is Steel Warren Responder, which is the three-cost uh, Rakano card. And it used to be a 1-1, one, one, and now it is a 3-1. And its abilities are Warcry, summon, draw a weapon of your choice from the top seven cards of your deck, and give it plus one, plus one, bottom the rest. Um, and they said that it's a synergistic uncommon, and they... And they want those to help shape and direct draft experience, but it came in too low to do its job effectively. And it's like shocking to me that they thought that it wouldn't come in too low as a three cost one one. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's very fair. I think we all had that comment when we saw that card when it first came out. It just is it's just very understated to 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 have some impact and yeah, it's just like even in draft, it is just so tough to play a three cost one one. Yeah, um, for sure. No matter what its ability is. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean the the stat change makes I'm I'm sure a big difference here. Um, yeah, it 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 does a lot more for the card. I'm curious to see what some of the other uh, some of the other guests. Uh, guest hosts of, of this podcast, the, the more uh, draft-centered uh, episodes have to say about this one, too. Um, but I think it's probably going to make a, a difference. It'll yeah. A little bit more draft. Yeah, I mean, it seems like, again, like they said, it's primarily, primarily a draft change, so it's probably not going to make it into Expedition. I do wonder, like, at what point could there be, like, enough versatile weapons or whatever that you'd be interested in this effect. Um, you know, because with the new mini set coming out, there could be another couple really good versatile weapons or something. So, I don't know. It's something to keep an eye on, I guess. Yeah. It still just Never doesn't sure. seem that exciting, <laughs> especially when you compare it to, like, the... Um, the new two five, the deep trail vanguard, which just like draws a card and is incredibly statted. Um, so 
Yeah. So it'd need to be some really good weapons that really want plus one, plus one for this to make it, I imagine. Yeah, it wouldn't even be for the plus one, plus one. I think it's more the, the draw a card kind of thing, right? So you end up having a three cost, three one that may be able to trade with a unit, and then you it draws you a card that then can kill another unit. And if it can kill two units, then all of a sudden this one card has got you three, drew you three cards, virtual cards. Right. But like, I guess my, my question is, but then at like, what point is, if there's a weapon so good, then don't you just want to play one of the fire, you know, like the three cost fire one that lets you draw a weapon or a dragon from your deck and make it cheaper? Isn't, doesn't that exist? For constructed? Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. I was uh, talking about it primarily in draft oh um, oh well that but that is gonna but, make this yeah yeah well in draft the the new mini set is no effect because those cards don't get into draft so that's i guess i was why i was thinking about it in constructed got it this one is not from a mini set though right it's from no it's not i was just saying is if in the mini set there was a card so powerful like, could, oh, I could, see what you're saying. Could there be a weapon so powerful that you would play this card <laughs> in no. your deck? No, I don't think this card is going to see constructed play ever. Ever. Uh, short of, like, maybe a popper. No, and even then, you couldn't play a popper. It. It'd have to be peasant. Peasant, yes, yeah. not popper. I get confused with the two formats. Yeah. Well, that's why I was thinking. I was like, maybe there's, like, there's a versatile weapon that has a super bonus if it gains like plus one attack. <laughs> so, so. I see. Yeah. It, it, it would make an unnerfed, uh, better than an unnerfed, um, whatever the four, four cost weapon is. <laughs> yeah. So in a way, it, it's like uh, they, they brought it back to the busted, uh, the busted weapon. Yeah. The, the longbow. Yes. The longbow. Yeah. Um, Speaking of Popper and um, Peasant, there are a few tournaments coming up, which we maybe should bring up. I just thought of. Yeah, yeah. I was hoping you would uh, have done all the research for that. <laughs> I don't know when they are and stuff. Okay. I... I'm ready to give some information about it. Okay. So, speaking of Popper and Peasant, there are some events that are coming up. Um, one of them, and this is hosted by Noverb, uh, who you all may have heard of. Um, it is on April 1st, Saturday. If you check the main discord you can see information about it in um tournament uh tournament info um and there is also um some tnt uh tournaments coming up as well so i know we were talking about not having um organized play announcements quite yet um but that would have been a great time to bring this up instead of later in the episode. 
but um, there are some community-ran tournaments of various different formats that you can um, that you can look uh, at playing. So we have April first is one of them. We have April fifteenth is another. Uh, that would be the TNT Throwdown, and then later um Cassandra's uh, Ooze Cup tournament uh is going to have its second uh tournament in the series that's going to be like in June 24th. So there's still tournaments out there that you can uh join, be a part of and then because they're community ran and honestly I kind of preferred those when I first started uh joining tournaments because it was much easier to get help from different people. Uh it was nice to meet different people. Um that's how I started my let's say, competitive play. Uh, I didn't start with the uh, DWD-hosted tournament, so I think that if one of the listeners, if you are interested in getting into playing some tournaments, this would be a great way to get started. Yeah, yeah, it is cool that people are trying to fill in and um, uh, the sort of void left by the fact that there's no been no p announcement and it is cool um you know because we you know for a while we had the tuesday night tuesday night eternal tournaments and then those were like i think it was a great tournament and especially like once they got sort of official support then the the player numbers uh kind of went up a bunch which was really cool but uh it's it was cool to see just how uh many participants there were for you know Cass's um inaugural uh you know tournament yeah no it was really awesome to see um uh, Cass Cassandra has been definitely a very important um like spokes not spokesperson but like a, a face of the game and um definitely has been playing the game for for a long time has a very positive attitude and definitely represents the game very very well um so it it was really great to see that that he had so much attendance and i'm I'm looking forward to joining that tournament series and playing in some of the other tournaments um at the first one unfortunately i was driving across the united states so i couldn't i couldn't quite join that one um i'm looking forward to maybe playing some of the other tournaments as well if i can um depending on my schedule um and like you mentioned tuesday night eternal was a was definitely a tournament series that was near and dear to my heart that's kind of those were the first um competitive things that i started doing with eternal it was the the first the first time that i qualified for worlds it was through that tournament series i ended up winning the invitational so definitely have fond memories of 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 that tournament series yeah, it is interesting. Um, you know, I, I think this happens with a lot of these community-run tournaments is they they sort of expand the formats. And I feel like that sometimes ends with mixed results where some of the more quote-unquote competitive players don't really want to play like a, a non-sanctioned format. You know, like, so... It's just so then it's the the throne and expedition 
uh, tournaments get a lot of attendance, but once you start branching out, it's like people don't have a place to practice it or work on it as much. And so yeah. it, it's, but, but I think tournament organizers, especially, uh, it seems really love to try to th throw these in. And so a lot of these community tournaments that are coming up do have these sort of off meta formats. Right. Um, kind of interesting. I I'm always like excited because I really love like when they have like the popper events and stuff, and so I'm always interested in trying these tournaments. But then it's like when push comes to shove, and it's it's hard to like build decks and test decks <laughs> in an environment where you can't just join the ladder. So I I understand. Yeah. Um. No, that's a really good point. Uh, one one aspect of it is, you know, if you find stagnancy, if you feel like you're seeing the same things over and over in Expedition or in Throne, then this is a way of having a very different experience of the game, if you enjoy the game. Another, to kind of go in line with, there is some difficulty getting accustomed to a completely different format. Like, how do you find what decks to play? So, for example, for No Verbs um, Peasant Tournament, if you want to find Peasant... Uh, which is commons on commons only, or popper, which is commons only. Um, if you look at the main uh, the main Discord in the tournament section, like I mentioned, and maybe we we can also put a link to it in the in the show notes so that you can find it through the show notes. There is a link to the Discord that was made by Nova specifically for the peasant tournament. And he has put a ton of different decks uh, there. So it's a really good starting place if you are interested in looking into it. Just like tens and tens and maybe even hundreds of different decks that you can kind of get uh, inspiration from and make adjustments. And because it's commons and uncommons, the entry point to something like that is relatively low, meaning... It, you know, even if you don't have a lot of shift stone, even if you don't haven't been playing the game for a long time, it's an easy way to get started through that. You don't have to um, spend a lot of your shift stone trying to figure out all these expensive cards to to and commit to anything in particular. You get to 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 build different things without a lot of investment. Yeah, exactly. All right, cool. So, um, uh, yeah, the, the other thing in this, I found out Eternal Design a Card uh, is sunsetting. Yes. Yeah. And, man, and did, you, did you know Dean's Chamber was a Design a Card card? I did not know that Dean's Chamber was a Design a Card card. And I, I do that, yeah. th that the Go Second... Power is not. Is not a design in a card card. Yeah, which everyone thought it was because that guy had that that design contest for a card that rewarded you for going second. And then they released a card that did it. So I think everyone assumed that that was their card. And then no one, I feel like, I had never heard any talk about Dean's Chamber being a design a card. Well, they... they the I remember when Dean's Chamber was released that it was that the another I don't remember DWD said that it was 
something that the players had been asking for. And I guess that made no sense uh, at the time, but I suppose that it being a, a player design card makes a little bit more sense if there was, you know, some somebody's card, either a streamer or something like that, and they had asked a few different people, and then they arrived at that general design. But yeah, no, they mentioned that they will no longer um, receive design a card uh, cards um, and build them because it didn't quite fit their design model and release model of cards and it didn't kind of fit the theme of the sets that were going to be released. Um, I, I, I wish I could have, you know, gotten my my uh, blue balls, as they say, which is where you get rewards as you watch streaming um, or stream yourself enough that I could submit a card. but. At this point, I think what they're going to do is they're going to release um, almost like a mini set like we're getting now, but with a collection of all of the the pending design of cards that they have had in their queue for, for a little while now. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that'll be a very interesting and possibly eclectic uh, uh, release something to look forward to. Yeah, it is a little sad. I mean, I think it's probably good because it seems like a lot of the cards have just been stuck in limbo for so long now. Yeah. And I know there was a lot of grumbling about people not even like getting any responses from Direwolf about the state of their card and stuff. And so it's good to at least announce something. It is a little sad because I did think it was one of the coolest things they did and it was so it was always so exciting to see a design a card card finally released you know it's just like and i I almost wish they had done more to make people aware (laughs) that they were designer cards um because if yeah if it wasn't a, a streamer and most of these cards were actually from streamers uh and stuff and so you you did kind of hear who who made it but it was just it it was always yeah it was just cool to have that yeah no i i I agree and if anybody from direwood is listening to this podcast um it was bad news but we're you know still happy that we got news either way for the designer card that it was going away so um yeah it's uh Let's see what happens with organized play. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So yeah, let's get into let's recover uh, recover this podcast and talk about our card of the week, and that is recovery. And so this is a, a really really fascinating card. It is a two Xenon fast spell. Put one of your units into your hand and draw a card. Draw a unit from your void. So, so first off, explain to me why paying double for Dark Return. Like, why are we why are we excited over this from like a Dark Return, a normal Dark Return? Uh, yeah. Um, I'll jump into it. Before I do, I just want to mention that the card of the week for this week was actually a suggestion from one of our listeners. Uh, so, Bradifier. Uh, so thank you for the suggestion, and 
if anybody's listening has other suggestions later down the line of what they feel like we should one of the design around cards you know please please share with us and we'll we'll definitely do our best to to add it in the queue um if there if it is an interesting card and kind yeah of and well, of it. and just throwing this out our queue is pretty empty right now so yes it is true uh well, it won't be hard to fit in there. Uh, so going back to why this is exciting. So like, why why is paying twice the cost for a dark return exciting? And it's not that you're just dark returning a, a, a unit. It's it's for it kind of going a little bit back to our Vara episode. There's there's a reason why Vara costs the amount that it does for for the body that it has a four four um, to get another enter the battlefield effect um going so you wouldn't if you if you are able to get a beneficial effect from bouncing your unit um that is it adds a lot of a, a lot of benefit to the card if the fact that it's fast means you can also save your unit from a removal spell that also adds benefit to the card so it's it's um it's a little bit I guess you can start looking at the card like it's a two cost potentially draw two cards at fast speed and potentially even get additional benefit um other than that. So that's that's where you start seeing this card kind of shine more than just a dark If you're using it just as a dark return, it's probably not the best the best card choice. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, do you think this is more of a main deck card or more of a market card? Or is that kind of a, a silly question for this card? It is not a silly question. That is a great question. And that's something that I was actually looking at for the decks that we're going to be talking about. I noticed that a lot of them had this card in the market. And I'm not sure that I agree with the card being as much of a market card. There are some lines that I can think of in the market that, let's say, you use your merchant to grab this card. It bounces the merchant. It returns your it dark returns your unit back into your hand. You can play your merchant again, kind of lines. But those are very expensive and kind of grindy. I think of this card more as having it incidentally in your hand when a removal spell comes and trying to get. Um, value from it trying to build a deck where it just naturally fits in your in your deck so to me it feels more like a main deck card than a than a market card but i think over 50 percent of the decks that we're going to be talking about today have it in the market yes i think you know browsing through eternal war cry that seemed to be the general sense of it is people just kind of toss it in the market. And I guess, like, I do understand in Throne sort of that play pattern you described of merchant, grab this, you have a guaranteed target for it. Um, and because that is one of the downsides of this is because you have to put a unit into your hand. And so you need, you need to have a unit on board. And, right. and so as a market card, you're sort of guaranteeing that if you're playing the merchants or smugglers as your market access. 
Um, But again, like you said, that's pretty expensive and sort of a value play because it's like, well, why didn't you just get the card you wanted (laughs) with the on on the first try uh, with your merchant? Yeah. Um, And so, but then it's kind of interesting because then you're like, well, what? what units are you really going for? Are we trying to emphasize like super cheap uh, summon effects uh, so that it's not as painful to then replay the unit? Because it's this is not, this is a balance is in, not like a balance in magic where it then plays itself again. This is like returning it to your hand and then you got to pay full cost. So either right. that summon effect is really powerful or it's like a cheap incidental one, but because it's cheap, you don't mind it as much. Yeah, the way the way that I approached today, I have only made one deck for everybody, um, which we're not necessarily going to start with. But the way that I approached looking at the card and trying to figure out how I would brew an interesting deck around it, because there's always the you can go the Xenon route where you're just playing. Your Zayats, your exploits, you're playing this for just additional Zayats, for additional come into play effects, and just be more grindy plan. That isn't conceptually as interesting to me of a design because it's it's a shell that you know has existed. It it's just not quite as interesting. The way that I looked at it is a card like Mother of Skies can can get a lot of a lot of value from this. A Mother of Skies type deck, if you have the Mother of Skies in play, if you're getting that value, you're usually getting so much value from it that you're really winning. So it's very a very high incentive for your opponent to kill Mother of Skies, for example. So the recovery aspect of the Void comes comes to mind there is it gives you the ability to get to get those a Mother of Skies back. In addition to that, you're playing a bunch of different multicolor units to trigger Mother of Skies. So returning something to your hand, playing it again, not just for the enter the battlefield um, effect, but also potentially just to trigger additional Mother of Skies. So just, I thought that that kind of shell would be quite of a, quite an interesting way of looking at it. Um, and I think similar shells to the the big Vara, not the big Vara, but the the yeah, the Vara episode um, that we talked about, the sacrificing to get another come-into-play effect. So the Daviadins or the, the Grenadins shells or the sacrifice effect shells would also potentially uh, benefit from a card like this conceptually. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of like one of the decks that we're not talking about, but it, it was a deck on Eternal War Cry. It's like they were kind of they talked about how they they were starting from the place of like maximizing like a Nahid's faithful and so like that's a one cost card um that, that sacrifices a unit so it's putting a unit in the void and it's a cheap summon effect and so like it's like a card like that seems pretty interesting with a card like recovery too because it's like you you, you know you you can play everything you're dealing with is pretty cheap and it's sort of synergizing with both sides of the card. Yeah. 
Um, and that's exactly kind of in the very similar. Um, I, I like that approach. That's basically kind of the way that I would be looking at it too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I guess, uh, yeah, let's get into some of these decks. Um, I, I thought this was kind of a, a fun one to start. Uh, this is from Shenaniganary. Um, and it's a rank 29 crafty spire. So we love talking about our spire shadow decks uh, on this podcast. And uh, this is a, a pretty interesting, uh, pretty eclectic one. This is a, a five color deck. Um, and it has a, a four seek power, four blazing salvo, four exploit, four Grenahen, two reweave, four Aurelian merchant, four crafty infiltration, four ebony dune smuggler, uh, one Kieran ascendant, one archive curator, four black book pit boss, four crown watch press gang, two lumen defender, four triumphant stranger, and four xenon adept. Um, and then it's market, I guess that's very important in this deck, is <laughs> a uh, uh, glimpse the possibilities, purify, recovery, spin down, inspire shadows. So sort of leaning into the two cost cards to uh, get with Blazing Salvo. Yes. Um, so yeah, this is very much in line with what you would expect from a Spire Shadows deck. Um, it's one of the decks that, that has the recovery in the market that we were mentioning. It has um, kind of a, an interesting, an interesting main deck, uh, including the a new card, Crafty Infiltration, that would be really good, a really good addition to um, if you're able to have that influence in your deck and have Spire Shadowed. It just it gives you a toolbox of units in addition to uh, Reweave, which has always been a really strong. Uh, strong card to kind of tutor units out of your deck for this deck will try to play a bunch of triumphant strangers uh for one cost uh get them all into play and just start getting incremental advantage and it uses the spire shadows to convert all the costs so that things are uh too tutorable by crown watch press gang and reweave and um, the crafting filtration. Yeah. So, how? So, what do you think about this as the direction to take Spire Shadows? Um. Yeah, it took it took definitely a cool direction. It's not. Um, I wouldn't say that it's not new. Um, it has been done before. I have a. I actually have a. A five color Spire Shadows Triumphant Stranger deck from Press Gang from like a long time ago that I've posted on Eternal Warcry as well. But it's it's cool to see additional cards uh, being added because you know it takes it from a a silly fun deck that I had at that point to something that is clearly much more competitive, seeing as they were able to make it all the way to rank twenty nine with the list. So. Yeah, with all the new additions, I think that that it it's probably significantly more competitive than it used to be, and it's always nice to see just incremental growth of 
of ideas that have have been around. Yeah, yeah, I it it is pretty pretty interesting, you know, because like I feel like with each set, these uh, five color decks get easier and easier. This, um, you know, there's just so much. You know, this set added Midnight Reprieve, which is uh, admittedly a depleted power, but it gives you rain, uh, you know, an influence of your choice. Um, and then the other sort of new cards, like you said, there's Crafty Infiltration and then this Recovery in the Market. And Crafty Infiltration is pretty interesting because, like, yeah, post uh, Spire of Shadows, Spire Shadows, it, you know, hits nearly your whole deck but even pre-spire you know it's it hits your merchants which i think is a pretty important thing to hit when you're pre-spire so i that's actually you know i think it's not what immediately comes to mind when when you look at this card i think most people thought like uh hurukira and um stuff like that but uh this does fit surprisingly well yeah and uh oh sorry no you're fine um as a recovery deck um like what do we think of it so i think there's some kind of interesting use cases for it um i definitely think that being able to get um being able to get the the dark return effect uh, is likely uh, useful. However, with Xenon Adept in the deck as well, I'm curious how often that gets pulled from the market. Um, that would be my kind of my my concern. I I do think that there's between Black Book Pit Boss Press Gang, there's Queen Ascendant. There's there's reasons why you would want to bounce your own unit from play as well to get an additional effect. But I'm curious. I haven't actually played the deck myself. I'm curious how how often it would come up that you you're grabbing um, recovery from the market. Yeah, they described it, and kind of how we've been describing it. Um, they mentioned in the description is recovery does a ton of things like dodging removal, recycling summon summon effects, and often just effectively being a two cost display of ambition. Um, yeah, and so I I think again it's kind of like the fact that the idea of this deck is to make everything of yours cost cheap. And then, so you're then playing a two cost draw two and the two cards you're drawing are all super cheap units. And so I feel like because of that, it's like this, the summon effects almost matter less because like just about all of these cards, all of these cards have a summon effect. Um, They're not the most powerful in the game, but because they are theoretically one cost or less units, it doesn't matter that you're not getting the most impactful summon effects in the world. Yeah, and you know, as you were speaking, I realized that I did make a faux pas. Um, so Aurelian Merchant after Spire Shadows is a zero cost unit. So if at any point you want to play an Aurelian Merchant, it's basically free for you in essence, to go get the recovery, play another Aurelian Merchant again, and also get get a unit back from your Void. Mm-hmm. So I can definitely see that being quite an interesting series of, of actions that would come up 
much more often than when I was in ma initially kind of thinking through where um, we're using Salper or something to go get the recovery. But but yeah, no, I I, I can definitely see that being being quite useful. Yeah, what I, what I do find kind of uh, interesting, I, I don't know, is the fact that, okay, with your first merchant, you're just like always getting Spire of Shadows, right? Yeah. And then your next one, say you get recovery, then you're like, well, I don't know, like, I guess <laughs> it, we're getting glimpse the possibilities then to try to combo off after that, like, or, or glimpse is probably your second. Yeah. Glimpse is the, the, what you, what you want is you've, you spire shadows your deck. Yeah. You know that you, you know that if you were to be able to draw as many cards as you want and your opponent would do the same, that you would have the advantage. And right. at that point, right after you spire shadows, you want to, you want to draw cards. That's what you want to do. You want to, you want to, dip into that advantage because if you need to be playing more than one of your cards a turn in order to take advantage of of that um spire shadows as long as you can keep drawing cards then you'll be able to do that so that's kind of your next objective yeah so that's what's kind of interesting to me is like you play the spire shadows first and then you're like recovering you, you know i it's i feel like recovering uh uh, a merchant is just like not super exciting because we're we're running out of exciting market cards at some point, um, especially with how much just market access you have just based on the type of deck it is. Yeah, I mean, you definitely also you can't. I don't think recovery would be exciting if you recover units that are in your void that have not been spire shadowed so it definitely reads as a play that happens later in the game not very early so i wouldn't think that you're getting it second but like uh we're mentioning it's probably something that happens later in the game right okay so you're getting it's a okay so we're that's our we're getting spire we're playing another merchant we're getting glimpse and then we're yep. getting this recovery to uh save a unit yeah, later on down the line yeah okay cool well, that's fun. I'm. This is uh, this is enough colors that I'm kind of excited to uh, to try it. Um, yeah. So another thrown deck uh, we have is this was just kind of emblematic of a lot of decks that were on Eternal War Cry to some extent, and that is um, just like a Zenin good stuff decks this is a hard times control by b gray and um just kind of an interesting deck i just kind of wanted to get your <laughs> your take on it a little bit um because it's called hard times control but then it's kind of a, a weird amalgamation of uh cards um this is a four Zito Cabal Housecat, uh, four Desert Alchemist, four Devourer, four Exploit, four Vine Grafter, four Worthy Cause, four Blight Moth, four Field Medic, four Pesky uh, Seedling, four Severin the Inevitable, uh, three the Rat King, four Gentle Grazer. Um, and so it's like a, this, it's, and then the market is the recovery, uh, banish, curtain call, Zenon Temple, Severn of the Dark. 
Um, yeah, so this is definitely an example of a deck that I would expect Recovery to be like a main deck card um, rather than a market card mm-hmm. for many for many different reasons. Uh, one, you're all you're going to have units in, in in play. You're going to have units that have some kind of enter the battlefield effect. So returning them to your hand is is just um, it's going to come up pretty often. Um, and then you know you also have uh, some revenge type things in your deck. So that means that when your revenge unit has come back, it has destiny. It just gets automatically played from your void. So I would imagine that this kind of deck would want more than one um, one stab at the recovery uh, idea. Um, I think it's interesting. I think it's kind of like a grindy, get incremental value kind of deck. Um, it has a lot of contract in it, so you have to be careful when you're choosing to contract and when you don't. But it has some some interesting stuff. I think for Severin is probably too many Severin. <laughs> yes, I agree. Uh, for Severin, yeah, um, yeah, the, yes, yeah. It's just kind of interesting because it it's like a grindy deck. They, you know, they call it a control deck in in their title, but it it's so cheap, and then they're and then because of that, they're playing this gentle grazer, which hits every other card in their deck besides for gentle grazer, which is kind of an interesting use of gentle grazer where you're using it more as a a value play than how you often see these cards where you sort of set your which is what hurt gentle grazer i think a lot in the first place by raising it to hitting a three cost card you could be you couldn't sort of tailor exactly what it hit as well yeah they they uh they snuck in a uh, a nerf, uh, disguising it as a buff for that card. If uh, for so the listeners, they may not know this. So, Gentle Grazer is currently a five cost, three time, three two, ambush unit that says, play a random non power card with cost three or less from your deck. It used to be a four cost unit, and it said, um, summon play a random non power card with two or less for your deck. So what uh, Paramara is saying is that you would, in essence, only play like one um, castable two-cost card that Gentle Grazer would be able to hit. And therefore, every time you play Gentle Grazer, you always know that it hits that one card. So, yes. The the way that they they changed this card, it, it gives... It gives more uh, more hits, which is not necessarily a good thing for the for the card from a abusable perspective, which is kind of the only way that you could think of the card being able to be competitive is to kind of like try to cheat on its effect by making it predictable. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's an incremental value card. It's like you're going to hit something random. So if you were to say. I play the five two a uh, five cost three two, and add whatever random effect you get to it. Then it, you know maybe it starts uh, making sense for the total power for the card. Right. Yeah. It just feels like with this deck, 
we're still not enough sort of taxing taxing effects i right is isn't that do you not get that feeling taxing effects yeah i don't know just like taxing isn't like denying your opponent resources you know like this says like i feel like that's kind of what you're kind trying to do a little bit you get like zito to i see exploit to sort of take down their hand there's like pesky seedling to make their cards a little harder to cast you you're, you're just kind of like trying to be annoying while getting i guess incremental value with your mostly small units yeah because right? this is like the i guess the reason i just kind of wanted to talk about this deck is it's just like interesting that it's sort of taking Xenon in a little bit of a different direction where a, a lot of Xenon decks kind of end up being sort of mid-range and beefier. And this one is kind of like s smaller and more annoying. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it is quite different. Um, I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting list. Like I mentioned, I think for Severance too many, I think I would cut it down to maybe two if we want to play it. Um, it would be for anybody who picks this up and gives it a shot, I think I would be very worried about how much you contract. I would opt for not contracting for the majority of the time and just using, like for example, Zito, I would just consider a revenge card you can sacrifice it, you can get it back later, and if it comes down to later in the game where they only have two cards in their hand, then I would, you know, contract it then. Mm -hmm. um, but I, there's so there's so much contract in this that it would be very difficult for you to be thinking that you're going to be contracting every card that you play because you're not, even though they're cheap, you'll find yourself not making very many plays, and then the plays that you're making are not impactful enough um on the board and i think you'd be falling very quickly behind but if you consider this deck as you're going to play all your cards out and then when you don't have uh any more cards in your hand then you're able to spend that additional power to get additional effects from the contract or you sacrifice the units then then it starts becoming more of um yeah, bigger benefit to, to playing a deck uh, this way. Right. So the other question, I just quick question I had is Pesky Seedling. Is that is that like a playable card? Because I feel like it's a card that shows up every once in a while. Um, and I'm always surprised about it because whenever I read it, I'm just like, I can't believe anyone ever plays this card. Um, but then I, I, um, it, it does like show up I feel like every once in a while someone like puts it in their deck. Yeah, I mean corrupt corrupt is a is a strong mechanic. Uh it's a mechanic that had to get nerfed just mm -hmm. as a whole. Pretty much every single corrupt card got nerfed because the concept of corrupt is very strong. Um so it's not so much that you get like plus one in their hand. Like that's kind of like incidental value. You get to use it as a killer effect, which is kind of nice. Um you know you if you're able to then now with recovery buy it back at it again play another play another um another killer effect i think it's kind of interesting i i don't it's not 
that far from being competitive and thrown, I don't think. Right. Okay. Um, if you're able to, to to play it and kill a thing for three, and you have a body left, and if you're a sacrifice deck, you've got two sacrifice bodies to then sacrifice, I think I think depending on the deck that you're playing, it's definitely justifiable. Like I would play the pesky seedling over field medic in this deck. Um, so like if I were to cut, to cut, let's let's take take let's take um, Severin out of the picture here. But if you if you were to tell me I had to cut one of the three drops, and those three drops are Blight Moth, Field Medic, Pesky, uh, Seedling, and Rat King, I'm I'm cutting the Field Medic before I cut the Seedling. Mm-hmm. Field Medic has done some stuff too, though. That's like a tough card to play around when. The Field Medic. Yeah. No. Sure, it, it definitely is against specifically aggro. Yeah, yeah. But if I'm building a deck that has sort of a sub-theme of sacrifice or it has that sort of enter the, the battlefield effects, then I'm looking at Pesky Seedling higher up. Um, if I'm trying to build a deck to find a specific meta, then likely um, the field medic is going to be higher up. Right. So it kind of depends. Yeah. And yeah, I guess you theoretically already have Blight Moth to kind of help with aggro and stuff. Yeah. And Pesky Seedling is no slouch against little units as yeah. well. Kills a unit, blocks well. Cool. So shall we go over uh, your deck now as our final throne deck to talk about? Let's do it. Okay. So... Um... Yeah, I'll read your deck and then you can tell us what you're going for. You kind of explained it a little bit already, but um, it's uh, four Crack the Earth, four Dairy Cathane Ripclaw Rider, four Nesting Raven, two Accelerated Evolution, four Dinosaur Nest, four Grenahen, four Mother of Sky, four Recovery, four Send an Agent, two Storm Mirage, uh, two The Uncountable, three Evendune Smuggler, three Kehanya Skilled Caster, and f um, or four Kehanya Skilled Caster, and four Direwood Pack. And then the market is Arc of Soul, Cloud Scraper, Lurking Sanguar, uh, Rapid Development, and Xenon Temple. Yeah, so, and I totally hoodwinked you in that I made a change in the deck, a very slight change in the deck after I put it into our sheet. Um, I realized that I only had two accelerated evolutions, and I was thinking, that card's pretty good. So I, I put a third one in, and I just cut another another card. But So the list overall, it's a Mother of Skies list. Something that is indicative of Mother of Skies lists is that, you know, when your Mother of Skies is killed, and when that dies, it... It becomes much more difficult to win the game. Um, so the thought behind recovery is that it is both able to protect your Mother of Skies from removal, but also get it back from the void. If it did get removed, it gives you additional enter the, the, the battlefield effects. So like two units plus recovery can end up being additional triggers for your Mother of Skies, uh, where you don't necessarily uh, need to hit another unit off the top of your deck. And then you have the benefit of something like Direwood Pack um, getting really large, maybe accelerated evolutioning to 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 give it flying to to get it through, 
or maybe the uncountable is able to sacrifice some of your one twos and make them into more substantial units and you've got rapid development in the market to kind of close things out as well um i think it's just very naturally a rapid development deck right so do you think um when you're playing recovery are do you think you're trying to save this to save one of your units or are you going to try to play it more as like i don't know if this is the right way to describe it but a proactive value spell where you're just like getting a unit back to play it again i think it would depend i think it would depend on what you're playing against and what the other cards that you have are if you have redundancy then you're certainly starting to look at it as a a proactive play like maybe you can do some cute stuff whether it comes up or often enough is probably not the case but let's say you've played a dairy let's say you've buffed the dairy then you can recover it back um play it again buff it even further because it keeps the buff originally mm-hmm. so you can do some proactive value stuff like that you can bounce a multicolor card from um from play and return a grenahen from your void and all of a sudden that's another two units that you're playing for for um for your mother of skies so i think you can like you can be selective with it especially if you're trying to build the rapid development board you may want to do it for for incremental value um if you know that you're playing against a a deck that won't have sweepers if you're expecting to hit a lot of removal then maybe you want to keep it a little bit more if you've got two recoveries in hand then you start getting a little bit more flexible again yeah yeah it's it's interesting you know just comparing this to like the spire uh deck that we looked at where just about every card in that deck had a summon uh, effect of some sort and then you like look at this deck where not every card has a summon effect and even some of them like storm mirage you know like it has ambush so you can pick it up and then play it as a fast card again but it's not really that exciting of a card to pick up um so yeah the 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 one thing that does make fast cards exciting in a mother of skies deck is that mother of skies is limited by uh the turn so fast multicolor cards have a slightly higher value in a mother of skies deck than you would otherwise think because you're able to then produce uh two tokens in a in a full turn sequence where you play your one multicolor card on your turn one multicolor card on their turn mm-hmm. in line with that it kind of reminded me but i think this is just uh too expensive you know like there's cards like deja vu which kind of have a similar effect though that's a four cost Deja Vu is like a four-cost spell that says put one of your units into your hand. It costs zero and has ambushed this turn um, and is a fast spell. Uh, so, so, yeah. I was just wondering if there there is a way to use that. But at four cost, it seems so impossibly expensive that it's not, not worth uh, just to use to trigger Mother of Skies an extra time. Yeah, I have a... I have a little bit of a, I would say, sore spot for uh, Deja Vu, but so it was one of the cards that was quite excited to brew with 
Um, and I, I even brought this up with when I had my interview with uh, Patrick Sullivan, uh, my world's interview, where he was asking me about sort of new cards I was interested in brewing. And I mentioned that Deja Vu was one of them, but it doesn't seem to work as I was anticipating. Um, so, And here's what I mean. So it says that the unit costs zero uh, until the end of turn. But in my mind, I was like, okay, great. So I'll keep bouncing it and getting it back and bouncing it and getting it back, and it'll always cost zero. Well, that's not the case. When you play it, <laughs> it goes back to its original cost. So if you bounce it, it's not cost zero anymore. So I can't make cool combo, cool combos with that card, unfortunately. Um, but um, but yeah, no, the deja vu is 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 a card. So it's okay if you pick something up that has a decently high cost, but it would serve a similar sort of effect as recovery. The some of the benefits that you get especially because it makes it cost zero is that it's okay for you to bounce something that's very expensive because you can just play it again. So, yeah, and then we, I wanted to talk about one expedition deck, and that is from AAAAAAAA, who always posts uh, pretty sweet decks um, every month. And uh, this is uh, the deck, I guess, they use to climb to Masters. And um, I would like for you to explain what this deck is doing, because my small brain can't really figure it out just by looking at the list of cards. And usually they provide a, a helpful explanation, and uh, they did not. Uh, in fact, uh, all they said is, don't play this crappy deck <laughs> fair enough uh but yeah so this deck has uh four ascetic lantern four combust four graviter cheney four caravan delivery four collection rounds four grove supplier four lethry marauder four recovery recovery in the main deck here four bone music four dashing scoundrel four lumen shepherd Three Mistvale Drake, three Savior of the Meek, um, and then their market is uh, one Ruin, one Exodus, one Rally, one Rania, and one Skycrag Tome. So this is a four-color token deck that is kind of disguised uh, in disguise. Um, it's almost uh, destruction tokens. Themed, but it also splashes for Lethra Marauder, which is um, is a really good card, and it does a few different things for the deck. One is it discards cards, which feed into Bone Music. The other is it can make more tokens itself, and it can also be interaction with um, hidden in a unit. So it doesn't um, in in a synergistic deck. It's really nice. It it gives you interaction, but helps you with what you're doing and doesn't take away by adding dead cards to your deck. And then it's using Ascetic Lantern, which is also a really strong card for additional discard effects. And then it's using a lot of different uh, high-cost fate cards to get some kind of benefit without you having to cast them at all, and then you can use them as fodder to get it into your, your void. So 
Misfield Drake will give you Aegis, Lumen Shepherd will make a, a token, and then likely the, the worst token maker, uh, Savior of the Meek. And it's a it's a justice card, but you're not expected to play it in the deck. There's no way to to get that kind of influence. It's mostly just for the one one uh generating and then you, you dump it in your void. Um and those cards then feed bone music. All the little tokens work well with Dashing Scoundrel. They work well with Grove Supplier to buff them. Um, and then this deck, similar to um, our World's uh, Expedition deck, Destruction Tokens, has the interaction between Collection Rounds and Dashing Scoundrel, or just dash- Dashing Scoundrel and a whole bunch of uh, little units. Those That kind of combination is very strong. And so, okay, so I have a couple questions now that you've explained uh, this deck to me. Is, like, is Misfail Drake really doing that much for us? Like, do we care about Aegis that much? Probably not much. Um, The only big reason that I can think of is that it protects your bone music from discard effects. Yeah, but Zayat was nerfed. We don't need that anymore. (laughs) <laughs> that's right nobody's gonna play it now so we can cut yeah, the three missile drinks no ch- i mean chances are no it doesn't do that much um i suppose that if you've discarded it and you want to get something back later you can it gives your recovery the ability to gain aegis and fast fast speed which is kind of interesting yeah. it would be something unexpected um and also you know if you get it later in the game and you play it you recovery at the end of the turn, grabbing a Misfield Drake from your void, and you play it. It's still a decently sized unit. Some people even get uh, get to the finals of um, of throne opens by attacking their opponent down with uh, Misfield Drake. So I wouldn't discount it too much. No, I guess that's true. Um, yeah, no, that's true. And I do like that these are all kind of reasonable fate cards are also just reasonable cards to draw because that does trigger fate um even you know if you draw it through recovery um the other thing i don't know if this is crazy um but like one of the coolest things to do in draft i feel like is to put your lumen shepherd in your market and then get it with the time delivery um, because then you get a one, one, and then you shuffle it into your top five cards and then you get another one, one. And so it's, you know, you're getting some, some value, extra value there. And like, I just feel like, uh, this fire market is just like, not really exciting me right now. Am I, it's not exciting you. Am I crazy? That's a shame. I don't think you're crazy. Um, I think. I think you could probably go a couple different directions. If you go time market, then you're probably going to be playing... Rania in your main um, deck, right? Yeah, and also a little bit different. So <laughs> you don't mind getting a whole bunch of Lumen Shepherds in deck. It's almost like built around this kind of idea. So I don't think that it's a crazy concept to just have all these cards main deck and just draw them naturally. Um. I don't remember if Devour is in Expedition or not, but if it is, I would love to see 
it in this deck because of the fact that you're actually playing all of those Lumen Shepherds, Savior of the Meeks in the main deck. Mm -hmm. It just naturally drawing through your deck just produces more tokens. Um, but I I have found the time markets, albeit not having played very much uh, recently, but still the time markets after after um, deliveries not to be that exciting. And that red, especially since I see Ruin, which is a better removal spell for attachments, and then you've got Rally and you've got Exodus. Exodus is a card that you can get in your time market too, but, but Rally is pretty potent for five uh, for for the cost of five you get to give your all your units at fast speed plus two plus oh um i think i think i'm a little bit more excited with the red market than i would be with a um with a time one but -hmm. i can see either approach working just different different choices in the deck i think well, like if Talir's choice isn't that still in in expedition, right? Does that so that's kind of like a rally? Talir's choice is an expedition. It's a little bit more expensive though, right? It costs four. I know it does more damage as well. So it's not a five cost play; it's a six cost play. Maybe it makes a difference. Maybe it doesn't. I haven't actually played the deck but yes you're you're right it would be it would likely be a consideration for the market and um in the in the case that we were playing a a time market it's it's likely possible that you can do either one and i would say it it kind of depends on like stuff that you've been running into and what maybe is a little better the detriment of a time market is that just there is no good attachment removal right yeah i guess they're is not currently uh that's now, the biggest detriment that i can think of yeah but, n- now that the inscribed card left yeah yeah so this is like yeah this is kind of interesting it is also unclear to me whether splashing primal is, is the way to go Yes, so just kind of an interesting deck. It's it's like like you said, very reminiscent of your your FTS deck uh, that you guys played in Expedition uh, at Worlds. Um, just like making use of some of these newer, really powerful cards like Bone Music, and then um, Aesthetic Lantern to trigger the bone music and so like that i feel like that's kind of like this bone music package we've been seeing that in a lot of different decks and so for me this was kind of a a, a, another interesting look (laughs) look at that yeah this is sort of similar to the world's deck similar to also a list that we shared um in the last uh, episode that we did sort of cards that we're excited to to not brew around, but it was exciting cards. And then we had like, these are some ideas of places where you can start brewing and shared kind of like an updated list of that, um, that tokens list with some of the new cards like boom music and such. So that's, yeah. Um, so kind of, the, I, I do like, I do like this list. Um, I will be, um, I will be taking it for a spin, uh, later, most likely. Cool. 
All right, so I think we're going to end our show there, um, going through a, a bunch of different recovery decks. I think there's still other stuff to explore, um, so maybe we will revisit this deck if uh, some things some things come up or we get some more inspiration. But uh, in, until then, uh, yeah, please, if you guys have the time or the way, uh, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash farmingeternal. It's a great way to support the show and keep it going after after these four plus years of, of doing the show. Um, and uh, yeah, new, new mini sets coming out, so pretty exciting times. Uh, so yeah, so thanks everyone for listening and uh, have a great week. Bye everybody. Okay, cool. We did it.